Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Gino Bacola here on the Mike Abadir Show. Like always, uh, the man, Mike Abadir, sitting next to me. And Mike, it is right in the middle of a playoff race, the final quarter of the NFL season. We have basketball season getting in full swing. And, you know, when the Lakers are playing well, they're in the media and they're all over the spotlight. We have college football with the, the bowl games just announced. But of all of those, the sport that's actually in the news the most right now is baseball and it's the off season, but there is a ton of money being thrown around in the winter meetings. What's really funny because, you know, we, uh, we send out tweets with the show promo and the show link and, uh, you know, you're limited in space. And so if I would have sent it out, let's say on uh, Monday or Tuesday, and you want to hashtag the most recent signing, uh, you know, and, and maybe you go Strasburg and then the day after you're going to go Garrett Cole, and then the day after, you're going to go Rendon. You don't have room for everybody. It just It's happening at that quick of a pace that um, everybody – you know, it's opposite of last se- offseason, right? Last offseason, we had to really wait it out. And it seemed like – I don't know if it was some sort of organized collusion between the owners or, um, you know, if they just felt that the market was overvalued. Maybe or they're maybe, waiting for this year, 2020. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just a level of play. I, you could have just mentioned one name, though, that could have, you know, encompassed most of the the, the major players that we've talked about this week, and that was Scott Boris. It's, it's not even a player, right? It's a it's <laughs> Scott a Boris. I know two hundred forty five million dollar contract for Strasburg, three hundred twenty four million dollar contract for Cole, two hundred forty five million dollar contract for Rendon. So that's uh, over forty million dollars in commission for the signings uh, over a three day period. Well, and I don't know if a lot of people know about Boris's operation, by the way, and the way it all it works. It's it's unlike any agent of any other sport. There's really nobody that even comes close to rivaling Boris. It's actually an enterprise. We have a lot of agents that are maybe with big firms that are talent agencies, and they represent, you know, your Jamie Foxes and super movie stars and maybe mega tennis players and they dabble into everything. And then you have other agencies that are more boutique, you know, uh, an agent and his partner and they have their NBA practice or their MLB practice or NFL practice. That's probably the most common place. He's got an, actually an organization. He's got one of the tallest towers in Newport beach. He's got a helicopter landing pad on top of it. He employs over a hundred scouts alone worldwide it's 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 at another level. I can't even begin to describe how huge of an operation he's got. He's got his own team. He's got his own. You know, it's like is is he's, he's got a, an academy for developing players in Latin America, the Dominican Republic. We're talking like different level stuff. So yeah, in a three in a three or four day period to make forty million bucks probably doesn't even move the needle for the guy's wealth if you could believe that or you know corporate wealth if yeah if you and then you, that. you look at all of the top tier free agents that he has throw Mustakis in there too don't forget about him he, he sure. made a deal for him too and then like the next tier or like the the top remaining free agents he's got yeah, Ryu 
Keuchel and Castellano still out there. Those so, aren't exactly like uh, like castoffs. No, th- that's like the next. Those are like the best remaining available. And, and like, we're talking Ryu about uh, the to- hottest hitter in the second half in on all the big leagues, and 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 uh, Cy Young. You know, runner up. You know, finish fourth or third or whatever. He and up, now that people are going to overpay for all of these guys, and be, because we've already seen now Rendon go, we've already seen Strasburg and Cole go, and it. What I'd like to see, I, I guess, is that it's kind of getting all spread around, right? It's not like anybody's getting everyone now. People are assuming the Yankees are going to be really, really tough this year. Yeah, sure. You know, it it's always it always looks good on paper. And and as a Dodger fan, I've been hearing a lot of people getting upset that the Dodgers haven't, you know, spent for one of these players. But I look at them. The offer that the Dodgers made Cole was eight years, 300 million. I mean, I'm supposed to be upset as a fan that they offered that much. They got outbid by the Yankees. They didn't even get outbid on like a per year basis. It's just nine years. That's kind of unheard of for a pitcher. A starting and here's, pitcher. The here's the interesting thing about it, too. So let's say you're a you're a pitcher. Uh, and I'm your agent. You know, I think one of the things I'm going to ask you is about legacy, right? That's going to be at the top of the list when you're talking about this tier of players. The, the next thing I'm going to talk about, though, is in order to establish that legacy, where do you want to play, right? Because sometimes the allure of New York is just so grand mm-hmm. in the history of the Yankees. But what stadium would you rather pitch in, Dodger Stadium or Yankee Stadium? You want to would you rather NL face East or the, NL, or the AL East or the NL West? Yeah. AL East or, or NL West. American League hitters and lineups and DH or National League hitters and no DH. You know, there's a lot of factors that go to it. So at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter if you make 300 million or 324 million. I mean, besides on paper. Yeah, well, I'll take 324. Yeah, of course. But I mean, are you, is your life any different whether you're making 300 or 324? No, no. I mean, maybe that's just one less you know, a yacht or something, you know, but your, your life, you're eating the same food. You're, you're still living in the same mansion, you know, you're still traveling the world, doing whatever you want to do. You have all the toys you want. It doesn't make a difference. So I would then think about championships. I would think about my stats. I think that's where, you know, a little bit of um, thinking of yourself comes into play. Is there an off season? You're not in, in season where you have to worry about your team and what it means. I'm thinking now about myself and my legacy and where I could win maybe Cy Young Awards and have a better ERA and ratio and all those different things. And let's face it, man, how many of these Yankee big name pitchers that sign ever go on to do really, really well? I'd like to look at that stat and see who won a Cy Young or was a Cy Young runner-up the year after signing a huge free agent deal. One that quickly comes to mind is Randy Johnson. Clearly, his best years were were in you know Arizona and you know, not in, in, in New York, right? Yeah, and, and now I'll preface this with saying, so I'll definitely, you know, it'll be a little wishy-washy, I guess, on this, but okay. Cole has been awesome the last couple of years, right? Incredible, like, top three pitchers. You can even sure. say number one in, in the game. Amongst but what's, the best. What's, what's funny about this is, like, if we're just talking, like, three years ago, he's just a guy, right? I mean, like, three or four years ago, he's just... He's a, a guy that good, Pittsburgh was going to use to get a couple of pieces. Yeah, <laughs> not, he's, like a, he's yeah. a top tier. Like he's still a, an above average good pitcher, but we're not talking about him as as like the best ever. So it's it's interesting. He goes to Houston, a team that we know a combination of 
they're, they do a great job with their scouting, their analysis, and we know now they've a little bit shady too <laughs> with, with some of the things that they do. But they, they, they've definitely been a team that has been referred to as like being very analytical and, and being very ahead of the game. So you go to a, a place that maybe really maximizes your ability and helps you get the best out of it, and you're in an unbelievable situation where there's really no pressure on you. I mean, you're the number two there. You know, behind Verlander, you're not really the guy. You have an unbelievable lineup, and I'm not saying that he's not going to be dealing with a really great lineup with the Yankees, but he's definitely going to be the guy as far as the staff there, and there might be a little bit more pressure on him than he's had in these last couple years, and I don't know. I mean, that's that's just nine years. I if Again, if he was a Dodger, I'd be sure I'd be happy about it. It's a nice problem to have, but this one felt like this is a lot for someone who... I guess because his age is prime, but he kind of came out of nowhere. Like he wasn't a nobody, but you know he's had these two good years. He didn't win. You know, um, I I probably would have. I'm okay that that that, like my team didn't overspend on him. Like from a fan perspective, would you want to be tied up in a in a long contract like this? Not for a pitcher, because like they're your Red Sox are trying to get out of it with Price right now. Yeah, I mean it's really hard for a pitcher to have that kind of run. You know, a nine-year run. I mean, if you look at any, you know, outside of very few exceptions, even some of the greatest three-year windows lasted pretty much, you know, three to five years. You know, well, even like, I I would even argue that Kershaw has has been great for a lot longer than the norm. I would, I would take if he delivers Kershaw, I I would take that in a heartbeat. But what about like guys like Johan Santana? You know, maybe. Three dominant years, five really good years, but he couldn't get to that nine-year mark. I mean, they even talk about him being, uh, you know, having a Hall of Fame five-year portion of his career. What about Tim Lincecum? Mm-hmm. Even to a degree, Mad Bum, right? It's like it's really hard to have longevity and excellence tied together. And I'll tell you, man, the only organization that could really stomach having Stanton, who's not panned out so far for the Yankees. And to be able to, within two years, go after Garrett Cole is the Yankees, which is kind of funny to me because they had kind of pivoted off of the old George Steinbrenner way, which is just throw money at everything and anything. They've been actually pretty judicious with their money and want to really avoid the luxury tax. But these and two a lot of their talent has been homegrown. homegrown. Like when you oh, look yeah. at the, like their major contributors, you know, Judge and you know the and like a lot of the guys that have been coming up through their through their system, but they. They spent on just – they have like four players tied up with more money than the entire Oakland A's spent last year. Um, Cole isn't going just to get some of these like funny numbers out there. He's going to be projected to make over $1 million per start, one point based on his 2019 totals. Over one hundred sixty nine thousand dollars per inning, one hundred and ten per one hundred ten thousand per strikeout, ninety two hundred dollars per pitch. <laughs> yeah, just to like just to put it into a little bit of a, a perspective, and so you know now now they have two players on their team that are going to be hooked up that much for for that much. Yeah, I mean, I just if I'm the Dodgers. I don't mind if they maybe make a trade for someone like uh, Lindor. They're talking about and there's a, there's rumblings about Bumgarner coming, which would just yep. be hilarious. Uh, which would be really funny. I cannot imagine him in Dodger blue. I just I can't do it. I can't even see it. Think about this: the teams that just won, or the teams that were there, they didn't just get better. 
Like, the Astros just lost Cole, and the Nationals just lost Rendon. It was other teams that improved. Like, the Yankees made a big improvement. They're, they look like the favorite now with an actual top-of-the-line starting pitcher to go with the that lineup. They had all these injuries last year, and they were still so strong. Like, they were really good, and... um and so, man, but, but I it, still don't think that their staff one through five is, is no, great. no, not at all, not at all, not at all. But they they got the they got the one down. They definitely need a little depth, but they're just they're you you just hope things go well and you hope you win immediately because you have to win now in the next couple of years because then the end of these contracts for you know the Stantons and for Coles they they might get ugly. You get an injury or two, you, you know, you you start. Um, you know, like you mentioned, you're in the American League East. Now you're going to have to face some, you know, the Red Sox a little bit. You're going to have to face, uh, you're not going to be necessarily in the best, the, the ballparks that are the most conducive for pitching. Um, yeah. It, it, I don't think it's going to be quite as smooth sailing and just quite as easy as people are, are assuming. No, and I wouldn't crown the, the Yankees uh, World Series champs just yet. Like I said, I think a... Do we know if there will be a replication of, you know, statistical replication of what they did last year? In other words, is there going to be a regression? Perhaps. It's hard to say with the Yankees because they have so many young guys, you know. So are they going to be dealing with a sophomore jinx, which oftentimes happens, right? Or are these guys going to keep getting better and better? Because you had a couple of rookies in that lineup that were hitting, you know, way beyond anybody's wildest expectations. In fact, I remember seeing, um, you know, some commentary, you know, by the time it got to like late April, early May, uh, I remember one user in particular on Twitter said, and this is, this is like a, a reputable MLB type person, right? Not like a fan said the Yankees are putting out a double a lineup today. Yeah. And, and that was before everybody knew who some of these guys were in terms of, you know, being able to compete at a big league level. And before you know it, these guys are putting up astronomical numbers and are fitting in like, you know, perfectly into the Yankees equation to where they didn't need Stanton last year. Think about that. Their yeah. highest paid hitter, they didn't even need him. MVP from two years ago, didn't need him. So it'll be interesting to see if their hitting is as good. Uh, obviously, they'll lose uh, Sabathia, who probably has more of an impact in the, in the clubhouse and locker room than on the field at this stage of the game. And replace him with, you know, let's just say even the top American League pitcher. Okay, we can go with that. But one through five, you know, you still got to play the Yankee, the, the Red Sox 19 times. Granted, you also get the Orioles a lot more times, too. And I'd rather deal with, you know, the Orioles and, well, I don't know. And it's comparable, the, I guess, right? You're Seattle, gonna, they're gonna Oakland, be Rangers. Two years or three years away from being okay because this is what's what's been happening in baseball a lot. You gotta remember, when you're bad for a couple years, eventually you're going to at least be able to stack some prospects. And so I think I think they're not gonna be too far away from at least be like having some guys, at least, like having some players that can at least, you know, swing the bat. They're not gonna be just a doormat at, at forever when you when you lose this bad and you get these like those picks that are such such no, high and level you're saving players. that much money as well that it becomes a lot easier to be able to, to fill spend in gaps when you figure when you out to. where the holes are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree. And the Rays always put out a competitive team. The Blue Jays seems like they always have at least they could hit. It seems like year in year out they always plug in hitters somehow some way. So you know that that's gonna be a tough. You know they're not an easy out. Blue Jays. When you look at historically, you know the Yankees at the end of the year might go like eleven and eight against the Blue Jays. You know they're not like crushing them like you know 
17 and two or whatever they went against the Orioles this last year, you know? So, and obviously the Red Sox, their chief rival, you know, they usually split or pretty close to splitting with those guys. So it's not, not an easy run. That's, that's for darn sure. Now, maybe from his perspective, he's like, you know what? I want to get out of the, uh, the roasting state of Texas and have to deal with the, you know, the, the Rangers, you know, um, you know, one fifth, one sixth of the season, you know, playing against, uh, against Texas in Texas, or here in, in Houston, or, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough to figure out, you know, where, um, what drives somebody. You're talking about a California Orange County kid. Yeah. I mean, you probably dream about playing in Yankee Stadium. I get it. So now, as a Red Sox fan, the two rumors out there have been Mookie Betts and David Price as possible trade ships that the Red Sox are trying to get out of the contracts of at least one of them because they're not going to be able to pay everyone and try to get something back. Um, what do you think? What would you prefer? I mean, I imagine you probably want to keep Mookie. I kind of have a feeling that they do end up keeping Betts. I just think somehow, some way, it's gonna they're going to make it happen to where they keep Betts because they've got a, a pretty long... I mean, the guy could be a, a dominant player for like 10 years to come. He's not big and bulky. You know, his his game involves speed, but doesn't rely on speed. You know, he's just mechanically so fundamentally sound. I, I think he's he's a guy that could be an impact guy for a really, really long time to come. You know, I think when you look at the M- MVP balloting, you're going to see Trout and Mookie's name probably for the next 10 years. And I think when they look at that and think about that, he's not a guy that could like that's good likely to, to be a flash in the pan. And when you think about him and Devers in the middle of your order, you know, they're not similar players to who I'm going to say. But, I mean, having the Ortiz and Manny Ramirez in the middle of your lineup for a long time to come pretty much ensures that you're going to have a good lineup for a long time, at least in the middle of the order. So I think they're going to think twice about how they approach that, especially now that the Yankees have signed Garrett Cole, right? You're going to have to have some hitting to counterbalance that. And, you know, price, yeah, if you could get out of it, great. But, I mean... You know, at some point in time, they're going to have to answer to the Red Sox fans when they're like, hey, the Yankees are opening up, up their pocketbooks. And I get it. We've been up against luxury tax for a long time, but, you know, you got to compete in the AL East. So, you know, I don't know of a, a, a really, really phenomenal farm system that's going to replenish these guys. You know, they're not like in the top tier farm system wise. They're not at the bottom either, but I don't know, man. I think this more like this is going to help the Yankees a lot. I do think this is going to hurt Houston a bit. I think Houston is going to be in a weird place because you know I was listening like Carl Ravitch and some of the the baseball um, you know analysts like they really think that that they're going to be get, dealing with some some major penalties, whatever that whatever that is, suspensions from for some player you know some uh, players people in the organization or um, you know like big fines or draft picks being missed. I think this is going to be a weird like vibe over this this team this year. They're going to be losing. They're going to be going to be getting a little bit older on the pitching side. They're going to be losing like this stud pitcher that really kind of helped give them the nice one two punch, and they had a one two three punch. I don't think they're going to be like a bad team, but I'm not sure if we're going to see like this the like the, they're going to be so automatic as they were the last couple of years. Well, that, that's an interesting point. So, I mean, right now, sitting here in in mid December, do you think they win the uh, West next year? If the Angels can get another pitcher, like their their lineup now, when you look at it, it's really not bad. Especially if they can get like a healthy Otani in there and and him not have to do the double duty, 
you know, if he's just, hey, I'm just going to be hitting now, and now you have Rendon in, in the lineup with Trout, um, they need they need at least a starting pitcher, though. They have to get either um, one, one of the three, in my opinion, of Ryu, Bumgarner, or Keuchel, or someone on that level via, like, a trade. Because their their pitching has just been abysmal the last couple of years, and it and it it doesn't set up to be any better right now. Yeah, and you know the one thing I like about Rendon, the thing I like about him most is he's very reliable. He's had either above or like pretty much right at six hundred plate appearances uh, four years in a row and five out of the last six. So you know he's going to be there, and that's a. Uh, that that's pretty important. Now, I'm not saying at bats, by the way. I'm talking about plate appearances. In terms of at bats, he, he's going to give you a 500 plus, um, and and that's going to include you know being able to rest and and all those kind of things. So you know he's good for about 145 games a year, and um, and that's why you know he's been in the MVP voting three years in a row. Um, you know amongst uh, you know I think it was what third th- this last season, 11th the year before, and sixth the year before that. So pretty consistent performer. Uh, I do worry a little bit about trout because he plays so gangbusters, you know, um, our injuries now going to be a part of Mike trout's game moving forward. We'll, we'll have to see about that. Um, you know, they've got some pieces. I'm not sure that they could, they're ready to topple Houston just yet, but let's, uh, let's continue on this, uh, baseball talk on the other side of this first commercial break, talk a little bit of NFL, because there are some interesting comparisons between the Houston Astros and the New England Patriots. So we'll get to that right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Mike Now, back to this week's program. 
And back here on the Mike Abadir Show. So you uh, you gave a little tease before the break. Yeah, I want to give a quick business note. I believe at the top of the show, I was notified from somebody that the the MikeAbadirShow.com website, which is a portal that some of our users use to get into the show, that there was a, a, an error. I believe it was from the server. That's been fixed. But I just want to remind everybody that when you go to this uh, to the web, to the show website, it takes you to the Voice America portal. You're going to end up there regardless. So uh, I believe this is the first time I've heard of an issue. But if there ever is, you could go directly to the Voice America portal, type in the Mike Abadir show, or you could type in Gino or Bacola, any combination of those words, and you'll be able to get to the show through Voice America. But once again, I just want to let everybody know that it is back up and running. I don't know what the issue is, but I'm not a tech guy, so you don't want me to explain it anyways. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I was going to say, and before I get to the comparison, the the one thing about Rendon that does concern me, because I was talking about I like this consistency, is his ability to be available, his availability. Uh, but the one thing I always am concerned about is switching leagues as a hitter. You don't know those pitchers, and I think that people underestimate how big of a deal that is. A lot of guys will s- switch leagues, and they're never the same. Or it takes them a year to catch up. And I've seen that. We've seen that with many big superstars. Probably the two biggest that come to mind are Griffey Jr. He was never the same in Cincinnati. Never. <laughs> he had some home run totals, but he never had that you know, 50 home runs and 330 average type thing. He'd have like a 47 home run season, but like bat like 270, you know, uh, or a higher average with lower home runs. But he never really put it together. And then the other one is Pools. Pools, I know, I know he's had some foot issues, but Pools, he hasn't put it together the same thing. Remember, before he was a 331, 35 home runs, 120 RBI automatic, first eight years of his career. And then he goes to Anaheim and his average slips. He's able to put up some home run numbers, but I mean, when you look at his war totals, if you know, you subscribe to that, haven't been that good. Oh, he's overall, been he's been a drain. He's overall, been a drain. Yeah, when you look at like the stat sheet and see like the home runs and the RBIs, you might be like, okay, you know, hey, what's why are people harping on him? Thirty home runs, 90, 100 RBIs. What's the issue? But yeah, he's been a drain overall of that lineup. So that's the one thing that worries me a little bit about Rendon. I think people underestimate how big of a deal that is. If you're a professional hitter, you've got your book on all the pitchers. You're starting from scratch. You're starting all over again. And um, you can't underestimate how big of a deal that is. In fact, it's such a big deal, the book and analytics and data and numbers, that some teams (laughs) tend to want to cheat. And I think you kind of alluded to it with the Astros. looks like they're going to be paying a hefty price. I think it's a matter of how hefty of a price and not will there be a price to pay because I think it's pretty much, I don't think anybody's disputing that there was some cheating going on. And now I think it's just a matter of how much of it, how prevalent was it, the knowledge of all the key people and how long was going on, that'll probably determine the penalty. It's interesting though, because you know this it seems like a recurring thing with the Astros that they're pushing the envelope a little bit. And we see that over in New England and in, in football and the NFL as well. At this point, Gino, let me ask you. They have to know all eyes are on them. They have to know that any other infraction is going to kind of jeopardize legacies. You know, if it, you know the, the old adage, it, you know, if you've been caught, 
doing whatever it is, it's probably not your first time doing it. So now they've been the Patriots have been caught three, four times now doing different things, whether filming a Jets, uh, you know, practice or the other day it was Cincinnati on the sidelines. And I don't even fully know. I can't definitively say what they're gaining out of that, but I have my theories and I could share that. But overall, though, Gino, I mean, what do you think, man? I I just hate it. It bothers me a lot because, I mean, in this, there was something earlier in the year, too, on the Buffalo Bill against the Buffalo Bills when they were like on the field before the game and they had McDermott and their coaches had to like remove some of the other coaches. And there was something like, it's just, why are they always on? It can't be a coincidence, right? That this team is like always on the wrong end of something like this. And it's just, it's unnecessary. And it, it does. It kind of just leaves a bad taste in your mouth because I don't know why, if you're not doing anything, you put yourself in that position. So I obviously think they're doing something. I thought the Astros are doing something. And I like, we don't know how much it helps. It, it, it just, there's just not, there's not a reason for it. No. I, and I think a, a lot of it might be, um, having a psychological edge. You know, if I go tell you, Hey, look, man, we've, we have entirely scouted out the other team. You know, you're going to get a, uh, a heavy dose of fastballs and we'll let you know when the curve is coming. Right. And you go to, you, you, you go up for your at bat, you're going to be feeling pretty good about yourself. Maybe that psychological edge is enough to where, you know, these organizations kind of preach that, Hey, we're going to do our homework. You go do your part. We got you taken care of. And, uh, and you go out there and you just have that little bit of an edge. They, a lot of people said that that was one of the biggest factors of steroids, by the way, besides the strength and the distance of the home runs. Confidence. It was knowing that, yeah, having that confidence going into the batter's box, knowing that you're going to rip, you know. Um, in, in this situation with the Patriots, I'm just speculating here. But I think what they probably do is, so you, if you have the whole 60-minute game uh, filmed on the sidelines. In other words, the, the Cincinnati Bengals sidelines and how they're arranged and everything. Now you take that and you layer it film-wise over the actual game film and game footage. You got them side by side and you have it match up to the second, okay? You could start figuring out maybe tendencies on what they do on throwing downs, uh, you know, passing downs, you know, third and long, third and short, things of that nature, because, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a lot of it is like baseball, right? Where you're, you're sending in signals. Sure. The quarterback is the only one, it, you know, gets to hear an audio, but he's the only one on the field. And don't forget that that gets cut off at a certain point in time. I don't remember the exact number of seconds, but they could only listen to it. Maybe let's just say on the play call, clock up until, you know, second number 18 or 20 or whatever. And then it gets shut off. It's not like this, like, 40 seconds of communication. So, uh, and that's regulated by the league. But now, so now you're, and even on defense. So now you're, you're sending in signals, let's say to your middle linebacker or to your safety. And those could come in the, any fashion, really. It could be when I touch my headphones, it could be, you know, something baseball like right from the dugout type thing could be, you know, in college, you see it all the time where they're holding up those crazy cards, You've seen those, right? You know, where oh, yeah. you have like, you know, maybe a, even a Taylor Swift picture or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really, really obvious about it in college. They're not obvious at all in the pros. They're very, very secretive about it. So now you could start seeing, okay, when this guy lines up over here, 
Or, you know, when you see the DC or OC, you know, sometimes some teams have their offensive defensive corners upstairs. Some have them down on the field. But do you see what I'm getting at? You could start seeing tendencies um, when you when you have that. Um, and maybe it's one. Maybe it's one particular edge where you could be like, okay, they're blitzing. We know when – even it could be when the uh, a certain coach puts his hands on his knees and is really, really looking to see if they could tee off. You may, Maybe that's when the blitz is coming or something. I don't know. I mean, that's just – like I said, speculative on my end. I'm just looking at it from how do you gain an edge or an advantage out of filming the sideline thing. Now, the Patriots are going to say, well, we're not. We didn't put them up to this. Well, why would they want to film the Cincinnati Bengals sideline on a Patriots documentary? Sounds like BS to me. What do you think? Of Is that course, even it's BS. viable? It's a absolute. I mean, it was just the same response. As, and it's funny that it, it like comes on the heels of them really struggling. The last couple of weeks and even prior to them struggling, not looking good before that. I mean, we, we all make jokes and laugh and we call it the NFC least and how bad the NFC East is right now. But they struggled with both Dallas and Philly prior to their couple losses. I think this coming up this week, this would be they haven't covered, I believe, three straight games in a row. And I think I heard a stat uh, from Doug Zarian on ESPN podcast that Something like they haven't not covered four games in a row since 2002. <laughs> uh, wow. But they probably will this week. Yeah, I think which was the first right when Brady came in to start, right? Like that was our right about right when he right when he started right around then. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's and, really interesting. I mean, they play the Bengals this week, so. You know they'll they'll probably be able to kind of feast and beat up on them, but you never know. I mean, their offense just has not looked good. We talked about it a bunch last week as we're kind of you know transitioning out into like the the game football more football stuff. Um, they they don't have a lot of playmakers. They just don't uh, offensively. And I, there were a couple calls. They might have gotten screwed by the refs last week. Like honestly, they 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 could have won that game. There were probably two calls that went against them. Refs blowing the whistle dead and another one where it looked like they got in the end zone and they they said he was down on the out of bounds on the three yard line and they didn't, even get, didn't even look at it. But they still had opportunities to come back and win that game late and they didn't. And winning and losing, it's not necessarily what I'm talking about here is they just haven't looked good for a while. No, usually Gino, usually it doesn't come down to a player two anyways with the Patriots when they're they kind of step up to their competition, you know, especially, especially the best. Yeah. I mean, over the years, how many times have you seen it where we're talking about Peyton Manning and Brady and the showdown and then the Patriots put a spanking on them, you know, 38 to 16 and it's not even a contest at all. Maybe even Manning got some garbage touchdowns on the back end to make the score look somewhat respectable. That's typically how they've handled their rivals, especially this close to the playoffs. But the reality of it is they've lost to all the division leaders in the AFC that's who their losses have come to. Good teams. Right? And they, beat, team. Baltimore, they beat the bad Kansas team. City, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Houston. And let's, Those have let's been say their it, losses. And let's have a tale of two teams, right? Early on in the year, the two teams that were really good and that were beating up on everybody were the Patriots and the 49ers. And I had the same exact issues with both of those teams is that the teams they were beating up on were bad teams. They were catching them in really good spots. And not only were they bad teams, but they were catching those bad teams on weeks when those bad teams played horrible. And it wasn't even as much to do with 
like how good those defenses were. How many times did we see somebody just throw a ball into like one of the Patriots defenders hands and they did nothing. I mean, they were just standing there getting an awful interception from a Jets or a Dolphins or like one of the really poor teams they played early on. Same thing happened for San Francisco. The complete difference between those two teams is San Francisco now through the really difficult part of their schedule. They beat up Green Bay. They went and played an awesome game at Baltimore and just lost there and very easily could have could have won that game. And then I they got you know, they had to win a game in a way that I would have never expected. If you tell me they were gonna win and beat the Saints, I wouldn't have been shocked. But if you told me that the Saints were gonna score forty plus points and San Francisco was going to win that game, I would have said no way. I know. I know. I mean you make a lot of good points and one stat to kind of support what you're talking about before last game where and Jimmy G you know played he was good he was good against yes he was yes prior to prior to that game did you know that half his touchdowns touch on passes came in two games Cincinnati and the Buccaneers game 11 TDs I believe is the number uh out of like 21 sorry is it seven TDs maybe a third I apologize I had it written down I didn't bring it with me but basically, like a big chunk is the bottom line. The big, a big chunk of his touchdown passes came against two teams, you know. So um, he kind of had to to deliver this game, or else it was going to be kind of uh, uh, a big issue, I would suppose, you know. Yeah, and, and we talked about the those two games last week. There were actually three really good games, and if you look at like some of the advanced like numbers and stats and like the DVOA rankings that football outsiders do the three games that were, were supposed to be really good last week. They all were really good. And all six of those teams actually played pretty well. Even the, the Patriots actually played pretty well because defensively, like they didn't give up a ton to Kansas city and they played pretty well in the second half and they did come back and it, it was a game that could have gone either way. So the, like the rankings, like those cl- kind of close games that are back and forth, they really like the, the Saints and 49ers game, and they really graded well for the Ravens and the Bills, who both played pretty well. Like, the Bills continue to impress me now, week in and week out. Like, they continue to hang. I thought they hung really well in a game where I, I wanted to get, a, I wanted to be a little harder on Josh Allen, but, you know, watching back that game, it wasn't another game where the conditions were kind of rough. Like, there was really bad wind. Lamar's numbers passing weren't very good either. And that's it. Those are two good defenses that were battling. So, like, you look at Allen's numbers, they were terrible his completion percentage but they were driving late in the game like inside the red zone with a chance to tie the game yeah yeah I mean you're absolutely right about that and it kind of brings a question to mind I'll actually save it till after the break which is uh you know we could talk about it after the commercial break here would you be starting Lamar in this game against the Jets tonight stay with us we'll talk about that and much more right after this Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. 
It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and rental cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel holiday outdoor traditions take center stage this week on the revolution with jim and trev from delicious wild game grilling recipes to late season hunting tips this week's show is a must listen joining the boys is jason matzinger host of into high country with jason matzinger daniel clayton loose from henry repeating arms kevin coleman weber Grillmaster, and cat daddy the revolution is presented by outdoor channel sportsman channel world fishing network and my outdoor tv saturdays at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern on the voice america variety channel Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here for the closing segment here on the Mike Abadir Show. And we're getting into football now. I'm going to start getting into uh, some of the games this week and some of the plays, but um, there's a uh, a really, really bad division right now, Mike. I just want to get your overall thoughts on the NFC East, where we have two teams. In- hey, Gina, before we get into that discussion, can I just uh, correct the stat that I gave out earlier really fast, just because it's yeah, kind of bugging do. me. I want to be accurate about this. So I was right about the number. It was 11 touchdown passes. It's 11 touchdown passes of Jimmy G's prior to last week. Going into the Saints game, he had 21 touchdown passes on the season. He's got 25 now because he had a really good game against the Saints and threw four. So out of those 21 touchdowns, 11 came against Cincinnati and Arizona. Yeah. All right. It's three against Cincy, four against Arizona, four against Arizona. So 11, uh, he fe- he's feasted on those teams. He's had several games with zero touchdown passes, right? He's had a couple of games where he's thrown a couple of picks and that's, 11, 11 interceptions in this day and age is pretty high. And that's it what wasn't made us, high back in the day, but now it is pretty high when you have guys that can go a whole season to throw a two or three, you know what I mean? That was the worry about him was, is he more of a manager? You know, is he a quarterback that can, can help you because they have a good defense they run the ball and they're very well schemed and they're very well coached. But I did not think he could win a game like they won the other day. I just didn't think they they would. I didn't think so. Like I, I thought the way the game started too. I think they were down like twenty to six or twenty seven at one point. I was I thought they were going to get blown out right then. Uh, I was like, yeah, that you know, and I think they're just there's. It was a not only were you playing against a good Saints team at home, but it was a really bad spot for them after having gone to Baltimore the week before, like beat up. And that's the only concern I have for this the Forty ers coming out of that game is they're pretty banged up right now. And they have to be careful because 
They have a total trap game this week where I don't think they're going to lose, but it's just going to be a game that's going to be hard to get up for when you just got up for Green Bay, you got up for Baltimore, and you got up for the Saints, you who are involved in like the game of the year, and then you come back and you play a Falcons team, you know, who's just what motivates you against them. Then you have to play the Rams, who are kind of a rejuvenated Rams team right now. They're playing by far the best ball they've played all year long and, and probably even into the end of last year. And and then you have to end going to, to play against the Seattle team that you've already lost to. So they have to be careful and really take care of business this week and maybe hope for Seattle to, to stub their toe because then they can rest and kind of sit. They are a little bit banged up when you go to, you know, battle with a couple really good teams back-to-back weeks that's what happens and oh yeah so and, and, and realistically most likely the winner and i don't remember ever seeing this we're going into a final game of the season the winner of a game gets the one seed or the five and the loser gets the five and that's pretty much what we're uh, we're up against here uh, the one that would benefit the most uh, from this scenario and having seattle win would be the saints because that would elevate them back into the number one seed. Actually, so I just contradicted myself. So if the, if the Niners win that game, they'd be the one seed. Yes. If Seattle wins that game, it would put Seattle as the two seed and the Saints as the one seed, assuming that they're all tied record-wise, which it's heading down that road if Seattle wins that game. So because the Saints did, would we, have the tiebreaker over the Seahawks. Okay. And then Green Bay would be right in the mix too, right? Because Green Bay, right? Because they, I think it would depend for them. Um, yeah, because that's. That I think Green be- Bay's biggest worry. Right, you're right. Uh, Record wise, they're only a game behind. Uh, you know the the leaders, which are the 49ers with 11, uh, but they're really two games behind because they lost head to head. I think Green Bay, even though they have that uh, their sights on that, hoping it would be kind of wishful thinking. I think they probably should be more concerned about making sure that they sew up that division because the Vikings Absolutely. are just a game behind them and they get to play head-to-head still. And now the Viking and, and the Vikings aren't going to be taking anything lightly, I think in particular in a game this weekend that they have, which is going to be one of my plays this weekend. I like the Vikings against the Chargers this weekend. The Vikings, I think you can get it um, like two and a half, as a, as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And I think they have a lot to play for right now. They have the Rams that are breathing right down their neck too, playing really, really well. So they cannot step slip up one bit with trying to chase Green Bay, trying to to win the division. So that's going to be one of my plays this week. And, you know, the Chargers are coming off a game where they just absolutely crushed a Jags team that's given up. I mean, I like the Jags early in the year. They were kind of feisty. But I think it's time to make a coaching change and time for some changes there because th- that team looks like they've really, really given up the last you know four or five weeks. I thought it was Foles. I figured that with the change to Minshew, it would maybe spark them a little bit. But they are just lifeless out there. Well, at the halfway mark of the season, they were eight. Uh, they were four and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so they're right at five hundred. They've lost five in a row. They're now four and nine out of the playoff mix entirely. And uh, yeah, I haven't seen a a, a, a a team fold like this in a while, um, especially a team that. Supposedly has a good defense, you know, but even their defense has. And I mean, they run the ball really crushed, well. Yeah, and they're in a running game. Once you start getting crushed by the Chargers, who, uh, you know, obviously have been a- inconsistent at best to call them that, um, then, you know, you know, at home, then, you know, you're having issues. I know you want to talk about the NFC least a little bit, and uh, I don't have a lot to necessarily say about that division. Except well, for well this. let's tie it in with, the, with what we were just talking about with, okay, on sure. the NFC, in the NFC playoff picture. One of those two teams 
is going to host either like Seattle or San Francisco. <laughs> it's either going to be Philly or Dallas hosting one of those two teams. Now, what's crazy is as bad as both Philly and Dallas have played, if they were healthy in a one-game scenario, would it shock you at all to see either one of those two teams hosting a home game and winning their game? No, I wouldn't in be fact, that the surprised. last time... The last time um, that this happened... The only where, two times it's ever happened where they've had a losing record, they've won. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the, the game that obviously comes to mind is uh, is the game that really put Marshawn Lynch on the map, mm-hmm. right? The, it was Pete Carroll's, what, first year there, yep. I believe? And, and then they the won Panthers, the division with a 7-9 and nine record. 7-9. The, and nine. the Panthers and, were 7-8-1 and one, one year, I mean, and, they had, and they had a home game, and they won. And that so, was the year before, I think, they, they had their really good year. Or like, yeah. that was right before they had their their real strength, you know, their their really strong year. But and that was the same thing this, that happened in you know, Seattle. Yeah. Typically, though, that happens as a team is hot at the end of the year, though, right? I'd have to go back and look, but I want to say that the Panthers went on a pretty nice run mm-hmm. just to even get it to that to that to that point. Um, here, you're talking about who wants it, you take it. Yeah, it's for for me. It would be Philly because Philly at least seems like they have the excuse of. They're just decimated by injury out there. I mean, they are throwing. They had like three wide receivers that they had suited up, and they got banged up. And so they're just throwing to Ertz and their Goddard, and they're throwing to practice squad players. If they, if you had Jeffrey and you know one more receiver out there to go along with Ertz, and then they have Goddard, like I wouldn't be surprised if they won. If they won a game, I would. They, they're not going to win the the Super Bowl because I think Philly was my my pick preseason. I think I had Philly versus Kansas City as my Super Bowl prediction, and I just thought they were. I was going to be much better than they were. And you know, you look through their some of their games. Like, if Philly doesn't make it, you're gonna, they're going to circle that Miami game as just a wow. Like, how do how do we lose this game? And and how do we not let ourselves right now? Like right now, all they had to do is beat Miami, and they've got the lead on Dallas. And then and then and then all Dallas, all they have to do is just hope Dallas loses to the Rams. Coming up this week, and then Philly would be in great shape, great shape with three games left. They got uh, uh, the Giants, I believe Washington, and then the Dallas game left. Well, yeah. Although you speak truth, you know they uh, they were fortunate to be able to to escape out of that Monday night game with a victory 100%. at the same time. Absolutely. Right? I mean, that first half was some of the worst football that I've seen on prime time in a long time. You know, where America's watching, usually you don't come out that flat. And I don't know what the deal is with Carson Wentz, but he seemed really inaccurate. He's been a little off. Um, they seem they were lucky to have the Eli storyline. You know, like at least they had like the Eli's playing, and like they were they were you know, able to kind of go back to that over and over. That was just that was bad. And although I, I wonder sometimes when teams get a, get a little bit fortunate and they were able to come away with the game like that, like that was kind of giving Philly a second life and a, and a second win because if they lose that game, they're just they're just done. Oh, like yeah, they, can't, they can't come back from that. And so so this week, like before we get into, into your plays, we don't have all that much time left. One thought of so Dallas Rams, like that's a big game for the Rams coming up. The Rams have to go play at Dallas. Is that one of your plays or like what, what do you think happens in that game? That's a really interesting game. It's really interesting, too. Uh, I know we got to be quick with this, but, you know, kind of to your point that they get to host a uh, home game playoff game, either Dallas or Philadelphia. And if we, when you look at who they're going to potentially host, it will be probably one of those West teams, either San Francisco, Seattle, or the Rams, whichever one doesn't win that division, or or the Vikings. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be easy sledding no matter what. No. I, I would say, though, that um, 
you know, this game this weekend will kind of give us a good indicator as to who's better between who's better situated right now to win between the Cowboys and the Rams. And that's why I like this matchup in a week where we have really, really bad week 15 matchups compared to last week, which was great. This week is miserable. It's garbage. Probably the most compelling matchup is uh, to me, at least is the Steelers and the bills. That game got Um, flexed. Could you imagine saying before the season that was going to be your Sunday night game and it got flexed into that game? Especially with uh, the duck man, at quarterback, Hodges. Without, you know, without uh, Roethlisberger there. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's a that, that's a interesting scenario when that's the best game of the week. <laughs> and I'm going to play that game. That's going to be one of my three. I'll give so you give my three. Real, I'll give you my three real quick. I'm going to go Bills plus one and a half. You could probably play that game money line. I think the Bills are going to win that game. I think it's back and forth. But I think the Bills have a little bit more offensively to make some plays there. Um, I'm going to go with the Texans. Plus the three, if you can find three and a half out there anywhere in the next couple of days, take it. But I think it's going to be pretty solid at three, and that's fine. They're a team that's just inconsistent. They don't, they haven't had, I don't think they've strung together three wins in a row, but they haven't lost back to back games all year. And I think it was, they were looking past last week to these big games they have coming up with the Titans. And the Titans have been playing so, so well that I'm going to go against them this week with the Texans and then the Vikings. I mentioned it a little earlier, minus the two. Uh, if you can find two, that's great. I think it's two and a half. Anything under three, I'm fine with. I think they'll beat the Chargers, and I think they'll do it handily. I'm good. I'm taking. I'm going to take the Cowboys. I think this is the week that they break their losing streak. I think the Rams have been playing really, really well, um, and that's why we're seeing the Rams being favored by one or in 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 Dallas, which would have been really surprising to to hear that three four weeks ago, right? Oh yeah. Um, and I, I know the momentum has, has caused that spread to be what it is, but I'm going to take, I think the value is with the Cowboys getting a point at home. So I'm going to take them. I'm also going to side with the Miami Dolphins uh, on the road, getting three and a half points. I think that's a lot of points. And the Dolphins have been pretty decent offensively. And the Giants are a two win team. So, you know, I think anytime you're talking about garbage teams, uh, three and a half is kind of a lot of points. Uh, even though the fish don't play very well in cold weather, but I'll take them. And then um, I think Kansas City here, it's an interesting line, right? 10 points, nine and a half points. It's kind of a, a big line for a it Denver is. team that's playing pretty well. And so uh, I'm going to take it. I think Kansas City's going to lay the wood to Denver and really assert themselves in, in this division. And then my last play is the Bears, who are playing pretty good football, getting four and a half in Green Bay. I think Green Bay's got some holes. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is uh, who we all think he is right now. And um, that team is is more about the other, uh, you know, the the running aspect of the, you know, of the game than the passing aspect. That's where their strength is. So I'm going to take uh, the Bears in a low scoring affair. Right before we close out, just to piggyback one of your points, Miami, they've covered seven of their last nine games against the spread. You wouldn't think that when you're thinking about a bad Miami Dolphins team. No, so actually, might, you might th- be on the right side there. Exactly. You throw out those first two games of the season where they got walloped. Dolphins have been pretty respectable. I think Flores has done a pretty admirable job. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks, Gino. Thank you for all the listeners. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.